Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is a strange love letter. And uh, what I mean is that we are taught in Scripture that God is love. And there are also various indications that the Bible is, in some sense, from God. At least it says many, many times, thus says the Lord and things like this. And, you know, right from the creation story, God is speaking and all these things are happening. So if this is a communication from God and God is love, then it must be a love letter at some level. It just stands to reason that it is. But you would be justified in thinking that is the oddest love letter I have ever seen. Uh, so that's what we're going to be looking at this evening. It's going to be a strange Bible study, too, for that matter. And so if you care to join us on that fun journey, please do, friends. Let's open with a prayer. <laughs> Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you, Lord, for bowing the heavens and coming down into this world, being the Word made flesh. We seek your heart and your mind as we gather here together in your name. Amen. So great to be with you all in this room and sending love to those of you who are out there in internet world and on the phone and in the audio podcast and Great pleasure to be with you, talking about important things. Uh, let me introduce this Bible study a little bit because I don't do that often enough. Spirit and Life Bible Study looks at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens, meaning in alignment with the teachings of Emanuel Swedenborg, who was born 1688, died 1772. The name Spirit and Life comes from Jesus himself, who says that his words are spirit and they are life, John 6:63. And we take spirit here to mean that his words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life to mean that his words are alive and aim to bring us to life by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly. And since Jesus is the word made flesh, as we read in John 1.14, what he says of his words, we take to apply to all the words of the Bible. They all teach who he is and how to get from hell to heaven. Okay, a strange, a strange love letter. Now, see, like, um, okay, I want you to picture something. This is just a, a silly analogy. But imagine that uh, there's a ring on the doorbell, and then you go to the door. It takes you a little while to get to the door, and you don't see the person who's there. And there's this thick manila envelope sitting on the doorstep. And you pick it up, and you look at it. There's no return address. And all it says on the front is a little, you know, pre-printed thing that says occupant. And so you open it up and it's got wads and wads of stuff in there. Like somebody blew all their income on, on photocopying. And, but it's a random collection of things. There's no, there's no dear so-and-so. There's no sign-off. It's just a collection. There's some essays. There's some poems, recipes. Uh, there are some letters tucked in there, uh, but they're letters from someone you never, never heard of to another group somewhere else. And, and you flip all the way through to the back, and yet the one thing that's written on the outside of the envelope other than occupant is 
important. Do not throw out. And so you wonder what this is. And then you learn that the, your neighbors, like everybody got one. Everybody's got one of these things. And everybody's trying to figure, well, what, who is this from? It doesn't say who it's from. It doesn't say who it's to. It doesn't say why we're getting this or what it means. And yet the fact is, as you page through the material, it's like fascinating. It's amazing. And there's stories within stories. And there's weird stuff. And there's stuff that makes you angry. And there's all kinds of things in there. But you can't, like, what is this? And someone says, well, I think it's a love letter. And you say, well, how? It says occupant, you know? <laughs> like someone needs to learn how to write a love letter here because it just says occupant on it. It's in a manila envelope. It's way too big. Keep it to a couple, three pages, you know? <laughs> Not this big wad of stuff. And uh, aren't there a couple of types of, like I can imagine several different types. I'm sure love letters come in all different types. But imagine uh, what you might insultingly refer to as a, a puppy love letter or something, you know, it would be a love letter that says your name on it and it's signed by someone and they say, uh, gosh, I just love you. I love the way you look. I love the way you laugh. I think about you all the time. I just, I never met anybody like, you, you know, that's, that would be a love letter. You know, I mean, if you got that letter, you would know you got a love letter or Maybe it's a somewhat different kind of love, but maybe you got a love from uh, a letter from someone who is like your mentor or your, your parent or somebody in your family or something like that, that was a little more, you know, saying, I love you. It's been so exciting to see the way you've developed in your life. I'm a little concerned about this behavior and that whatever, but I, and I just thought I didn't want to not say anything, but, but. I, I want you to know this comes with tremendous love. I really believe you can lick this thing and, and, you know, and, and sign off with love at the end or something. That too, it would be maybe a little more like tough love, but that would be, you, you know, you could recognize the, the love in a letter like that. But this bizarre packet with random stuff, which is my way of describing the Bible, obviously, is, um, you know, what is that? <laughs> That's the oddest love letter. Where, where's, where is the love in that? What's going on in that story? How could it be a love letter if it's distributed to everybody in the neighborhood? And it just says occupant. Uh, and there's no signature. And it seems to have been written by many different people. You know, uh, what, what's, what's going on? It's, it's very indirect. Uh, let's start with something. We did a whole Bible study on this one time, but I want to read this just as an example. Let's go to 2 Samuel. Okay, so if you open your Bibles, we go through Genesis to Deuteronomy there, and then Joshua, Judges, First and 2 Samuel. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and it's a story about David. And David uh, has committed adultery with Bathsheba who was married to Uriah and in order to deal with the situation in the proper way he had Uriah killed in a sneaky fashion even made Uriah carry his own death sentence to the front in a letter that he didn't open didn't know what was in it but it said put him at the front of the fighting and everybody back up and sure enough the, the battle took care of it and he was killed and and uh, so 
uh, this is what happens after that. Let's start at verse 1 here and read down to, um, let's see, uh, well, anyway, let's just jump in there. Second Samuel 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city. Okay, one and Nathan was a man of God. He was a prophet. Okay, and he's gone to David, and he says, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. Back then, the whole family would live with these animals, and it would just protect them at night. You know, they'd, they'd be in there in the downstairs of the house and go on. It ate, it ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Mm. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Mm. And what is David's reaction to hearing this story? So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, <clears throat> because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And that was one of those rules about the animals. And, you know, if, if, if you take somebody else's animal, you have to pay it back fourfold because he had no pity. And then Nathan says a very powerful thing. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Yeah, that's a story about you. I cleverly disguised it because I said it was a lamb and it was like a daughter instead of a husband and a wife. So you, you didn't really see what I was doing there. And I said there was a traveler who came from far away. And, you know, I set the whole thing up and everything like that. But really, it's the same as what you've done. And you didn't even see it. And you just judge yourself. Because you said, oh, somebody who did that ought to be killed. And, and, you know, and he says, well, that's a story about you. Now, so what did we just read? That was a story. We just read a story about a story. And the story in the story said to the person, oh, this story is actually about you. Well, is that story about us then? Like we're hearing that story and we think, oh, it's a story. We're just as fooled, aren't we? Like, oh, it's a story about David. David did a bad thing. It's just about David. It's about somebody who lived a long time ago. I never met him. Don't know who he is. You know, somebody who lived a long time ago, far away, and he did this thing and someone else came and told him that was a bad thing to do. It's a very distant, remote, indirect way of communicating. Like if this is a story to us, it's a really long way around, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it doesn't say anything about us in any kind of direct way. We don't know the stories about us. We, like who would ever think it was about us? And yet here's a story inside it where a story was about the person who was hearing the story, but it doesn't connect the dots and it doesn't say, well, actually, and if you think about what I'm telling you right now, this applies to you, hello, somebody, you know. No, it doesn't say that. It, it, just, it just goes on with the story after that. Um, so uh, we don't even 
get that much of having uh, Nathan give us the punchline, right? This story is about, you know, we don't get that. We, we, just, we just get these stories. So it's very indirect. Uh, it's a story uh, like it couldn't be more indirect. It's, it's a whole series of stories about people who lived a long time ago and it seems like it, it breaks into some parts, and I want to look at these different parts a little bit. Okay, so one whole grand category in that envelope, all those different kinds of stuff, is these stories. They're, they're histories. And uh, a third party describes in there how God worked with a group of people who initially worked with him and then didn't work with him and it ended badly. That, that's the, <laughs> it, it, it's an odd letter. You know, if you got a letter that said, by the way, there was someone who lived thousands of years ago who said this to the other person and they were angry. You're sincerely, you know, like, well, what? What are you, what are you saying? You know, it's, it's super indirect. Um, I want to read Joshua. Okay, so you're in Second Samuel. Let's turn to the left and go back to Joshua here, shall we? So back through Judges to Joshua. I want to read the very first chapter. First, let's read the first nine verses here. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Mm. And here we go. Here's a powerful <clears throat> bit here. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Okay, so the <laughs> Lord is speaking to Joshua, and this is what he says. No one will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And you may remember, Moses was leading this large group, some have estimated at two million people, through the wilderness, and now Moses is dead. And guess what? Your turn. You know, here's Joshua, and he's taking over, and now the Lord is saying to Joshua, I'm going to be with you just the way I was with Moses. Go on. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Hmm. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Mm. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. And what will happen then? For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. 
For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So a very beautiful sentiment. If you think of it as a love letter, again, isn't it like someone sending you a letter and saying, oh, well, there was God and there was this person a long time ago. It's very different from you in a different situation. But God said to that person, I'm going to be with you. Don't worry about it. Just follow my law and you'll be fine. Yours sincerely, etc. Um, well, that's this. I, w- one reason I wanted to read this, uh, and I, I'm really not trying to say anything uh, in particular about this, but uh, this was the first place in the Word that ever meant anything to me. Uh, this was the story, this was the first time that I ever realized, oh, me? You're. T- I, I always, you're just talking to Joshua, but suddenly I realized, oh, wait, you're talking to me. And I don't mean me as opposed to anybody else, everybody. But it was the first time I realized, oh, you're talking, you know, it looks like it's just, well, here's a little story. Don't worry about it. Where God is speaking to this guy, Joshua, a long time ago. Don't worry about it. But then I suddenly realized, whoa, the Lord is saying, doesn't he say to everybody, no one, if you stick with me, no one will be able to stand in your way ever. But you got to follow that law. Don't turn from it to the right hand to the left. That's how you'll make your way prosperous. That's how you make your, you know, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Well, it's, it's true, right? Isn't it? But it's buried in this little, oh no, that, that was to, plausible deniability. That's a phrase that keeps coming to mind. You know, if you said, well, wait, was that a letter to me? Oh, no, 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 that was about Joshua. <laughs> you know, it's indirect. But I love that passage because that sort of broke through and, and spoke to me. Uh, I want to pick another example. don't know if I can get my point across. Turn to the right to Judges 13, if you will. comes up right next there. The whole Bible is so much, it's so third person, you know, it never addresses us directly. It will have sometimes characters in a story who address us. That character will say, hey, the Lord loves you. Uh, but that's technically just what a character said in there. But it's just a story about some other people who lived a long time ago. Uh, this was one example that came to mind. Let's just read the first three verses of Judges 13. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, there was a certain man from Zorah. Anybody here know Zorah? (coughs) Neighbor of yours, Zorah? No? Okay, go on. Of the family of the Danites. Any Danites here tonight? Okay. Whose name was Manoah. Okay, Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. It's kind of nice having that distance in the text in some ways because you you don't have to care. And it's, it's not, if it was a direct lecture, like on the receiving end, it can be uncomfortable to get a puppy love letter. Like, what if you don't particularly like the person or you don't remember which one they are? 
I don't know who this came from. <laughs> or, you know, it just feels weird that they're talking about, you know, my nose or something. But, uh, uh, and it can feel weird to like, okay, you love me, but you're giving me sort of a lecture or something like that. But it's super comfortable. It's just like going to a movie theater. The movie has no idea whether you're in your comfortable seat or not. You know, it's just going to happen on the screen. It has nothing to do with you. And so you can kind of opt in if you want, or you can get bored, or you can go get some popcorn, but it's not making you self-conscious. Um, but if you want to opt in, you can start to see a connection between you and this person from the family of Zora and the Danites and how this angel appears to her and, and, and she sees an angel, but her husband doesn't see it and he doesn't trust her, so he wants out to go out and see the angel. And so he goes out, but he can't see it. And then she comes back again and says, yeah, another angel came and spoke to me and he started to get irritated. <laughs> you know? I can't see an angel. My wife sees them all the time. What's going on? Uh, interesting story there in, in Judges. Uh, how about Isaiah 63? Let's turn into the middle of your Bible. It's after the Psalms. 63, toward the end of Isaiah Let's read verses 7 to 10. Now, this whole story is a story from the prophet Isaiah, who was a prophet who lived a long time ago, talking to a different group of people who were, you know, dealing with an exile situation and everything. And here's what he says. This is what, he, this is what Isaiah says. Verse will, 7 to 10. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us. But don't worry, you're not part of the us. The us is another group a long time ago. You know, go on. And the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies. See, it's just the house of Israel. It's not you. He didn't bestow any mercy. I mean, you can tell. Look at your life. He didn't bestow any mercy on you. But he was kind to this other group who lived a long time ago. Go on according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. Mm. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not lie. Oh. Mm. So Good. he became their savior. Good. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. Lucky them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. So there were people once who God really loved, and he carried them all the days of old. He redeemed them, bore them, carried them all the days of old. Next verse, please. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Mm. So he turned himself against them as an enemy, and he fought against them. Uh-oh. So the relationship went sour there in one verse. Uh, things were sounding good. But that to me is kind of a summary of the Old Testament histories where the Lord had this relationship with these people and it was good, but then it went bad. Um, and there's, you know, then there's this appearance that he turns into their enemy, but at least it's not us. We didn't have to read something about ourselves. That, that's, that's a relief. Um, so that's sort of, I don't know, we're doing it sort of impressionistically tonight. But that's kind of a little dip into the historical portions, the stories of the children of Israel and what happened to them, what was good, what was bad. Long time ago, somebody else, somewhere else. Uh, how about the prophets? Then the second half of the Old Testament are all these prophets and their prophecies 
to that same group of ancient people. What does that have to do with anything? Let's turn to the right from Isaiah, go through Jeremiah to Ezekiel. And I actually want to read... Let's start at 128 and just blast through chapter 2 there. Uh, Ezekiel's had this amazing vision of all these strange things in the heavens. Chapter 1. Verse 28. That's right. 128. Like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard a voice of one speaking. Okay, what did he say? And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. Okay, so Ezekiel is communicating to us that he had a vision of the Lord in which the Lord said to him, Say to other people, Thus says the Lord. I don't know how many layers deep that is. Uh, So you get all these thus says the Lord's. I mean, I looked them up today. I think thus says the Lord is 432 times in Scripture. And if you just say says the Lord, that's uh, 870 occurrences. or something. It comes up a lot in Scripture. Scripture is often saying thus says the Lord, but it's not usually it saying it. It's a story of someone saying it to someone else, if you see what I mean. Go on. As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know what a prophet had, sorry, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. Mm. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you and you dwell among scorpions. (laughs) Do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Mm. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. Now, why are we hearing about this? So the Lord is telling Ezekiel that say to these people what he says to Ezekiel to say. So he'll be conveying the Lord's words to these people. That's about as direct as it ever gets. It's not really direct. It's not like the Lord speaking directly to you in the text, uh, not in the literal sense of it, but uh, that's about as close as it gets. Okay, and what's his advice to Ezekiel? Well, I forget Verse where we eight. Are. eight. How about that? But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now, when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Hmm. 
Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Mm, my favorite kind of thing. So he's handed a book full of lamentations and mourning and woe, and... Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. Yes, and so he does eat the book, and uh, the story goes on from there. Uh, I don't know if I'm getting it across, but it's really indirect. So in the indirectness, there's stuff that's direct, but it's not to you. It's just the Lord speaking to other people about how they should clean up their act. Uh, but you're not, you're not named, you know, it, it's, it's not about us. And then the Lord says to the Ezekiel, Hey, you, you don't be bad either. And here, I'm going to give you a book and you should eat it. But it doesn't tell us what to do. It's, right? We, weren't, we, weren't, we were innocent of the whole thing. Um, so that's just a little taste of something that goes on. Uh, so continuing that story. So in the histories, there were some people. The Lord tried to have a relationship with them. It went badly eventually. And then... In the prophets, we learned that there were some special people who tried to intervene with warnings and hope and, and stuff. Again, different group of people far away. So then in the New Testament, you read about this very special person who came along to other people who lived a long time ago and far away and told them some things. And a lot of people couldn't figure out who he was. And there are four different accounts and they all are slightly different from each other. Uh, let's read in Matthew 4. So if this is a letter, it's indirect. 4 verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So who did he say that to? Did he say that to me? Did he say that to you? Did he say that to people a long time ago? Like when it goes into the quote, even though it's descended into, you know, that discourse, isn't that more direct? <laughs> like that's, but it's, it's not framed as, hey, I've got a message for you. It's just a story about someone saying something to someone else, but you can sort of think, is that really about me? Is that when he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? And then in, uh, let's see chapter 5. Chapters 5 to 7 are the famous Sermon on the Mount. Let's just see how that begins. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... Oh, now, so who is the them? He opened his mouth and taught them. Who's them? The multitudes. Yeah, and, and his disciples, right? His, his, his seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, his disciples came and he taught them, not us. Didn't teach us. He's teaching a different group of people. He taught them, and then he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, and so on, and you get the Sermon on the Mount, all these beautiful things. And these are very direct, like, unless your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Pharisees, you shall never enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and I'm telling you, you know, they said don't commit adultery, but I'm saying if you even look with lust, you've already committed adultery. And it's quite direct, but in the story, 
it's just told to a different group of people and you're never told do you want to put yourself in that audience or, or not whatever it's just up on the screen there who knows who the director is or what's going on and so you've got chapter six there you've got chapter seven you got amazing things about loving your enemies and all this sort of stuff, but the whole idea is that he just told it to that group of people. And verse 28 in Matthew 7. And again with this emphasis on you really need to do this, you really need to do it. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So in this strange letter, you're just hearing about a, a, a great uh, series of thoughts that someone gave to another group and they were really amazed by it. There's not a signature. It didn't say dear so-and-so. It's not signed at the end. It's just, there's a story. Strange, strange love letter. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, so again, this special person came along, told people that he loved them and God loved them and they should change their ways and stuff like that. Another group, different group, different time. And then what you have in the New Testament are these, oh, letters. You do, there are some letters in there. Oh, so maybe these will be the letters. They'll say, dear reader, you know, right? Just like our dear reader. <laughs> to, to whom it may concern you know i want to talk to you direct no they're not like that look at luke let's look at luke chapter one even the gospel of luke which you think well luke it's it's the story of the lord's life it's got that great christmas story in it it's got so many wonderful things it ends in such an amazing way look at the first four verses there what type of literature is this Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you... you. An or In the Old King James, the singular, one person. It's a letter from one person who's unnamed to one other person whose name is? Most excellent Theophilus. Are you Theophilus? Any Theophiluses? Is this to you? No, it's a letter to Theophilus. Go on. To write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. And now just read the beginning of the next one. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. Isn't that great? And that's, now we're into story time. There was this priest and this stuff happened. And we forget. Oh, that whole thing is a letter. That, Luke, that whole thing was a letter from someone who's not named in the text. We call him Luke, but uh, he's not named in the text. But we know the recipient is Theophilus, and that's not me. So some of them say occupant, some of them say Theophilus. You know, well, it's not me, but they're telling Theophilus how, how this all happened. So that's in a form of an epistle. Now let's go into the other epistles. Turn to the right. We'll go through John and Acts and Romans and 1 and 2 Corinthians. I want to get to uh, 1 Thessalonians. So keep going back there through Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians, Colossians, and there we go. 
1 Thessalonians. So here's an epistle. It's an actual epistle. It's a letter. So who is it from and who is it to? Is it from God to you? Look at 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. Okay. So this letter is from three people, Paul, Silvanus, or whatever, and mm-hmm. Timothy, to this church in some place. We have no idea where that is. Good. So it's from three people to another group of people. It's not purportedly from God to us. It's here in the book. It's a letter, but it's just like a letter thrown in the back of the manila envelope uh, from one person to another group or from several people to another group who you haven't heard of. Just, just, And it doesn't say, why should you read it or what should you get about it? What should you be thinking or feeling while you read it? It's just in the envelope. Let's turn to the right and go to 2 Timothy, which comes up pretty quickly there. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Here's another epistle. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Jesus Christ. Ah, so the letter's from Paul, and who is it to? Oops. To Timothy, hmm. a, a beloved son. Oh. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay. So this is a letter from Paul to one particular individual. Okay, you got one person, and it's in the packet, but it's not the whole packet. And it's just thrown it, so there's a letter from three people to the Thessalonians. There's a letter from one person to Timothy. And then I'm just picking some out here, a whole bunch of different letters. Let's turn to the right, go through Hebrews, and get to James. which comes up right after James. Let's read just one verse one of James there. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Is that us? I don't know. 12 tribes scattered abroad. I don't know who who that, but at least it's addressed this time, but don't know who that is. Okay, turn to the right. Let's get to 1 Peter 1, 1. Who is he writing to? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So a different author. So James, So we had Paul, Paul, Silvanus, Timothy. And then we've got Paul to Timothy. And then we had James. Now we've got Peter. Who is he writing to? To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Yeah. I think Cappadocia is just north of Southampton. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think. Not sure. Um, okay, so Peter's writing to a, another, okay, it's a group of random people. That's what's going on. And then I love this example. I'll turn to the book of Revelation at the back here. And uh, so this person, John, is writing an account of being on the Isle of Patmos. And then he has this vision of the Lord, and the Lord appears to him and says, I want to tell you various things and says, I want you to write letters on my behalf. Oh, good. Okay, maybe at the back of the book, we're going to get letters from God directly to us. Well, not really. They're, they're letters to the church of Ephesus and, the, you know, these seven churches, Thyatira and all Sardis and 
Uh, so you do get letters, but the letters are buried in a story. So there's a story where John says, well, I want to tell you a story of what happened to me. And in the story was this person appeared to me and he wrote me letters and he said I should send these letters to these people. And the letter said, hey, you should change your ways. Be a good person. I'm happy about the good things you're doing. I'm not happy about the bad things you're doing. And then I had a whole bunch of strange visions about what would happen eventually, but nobody knows what it means. Yours sincerely, etc. Um, and yet, hmm, strange book, huh? And yet, here and there, the book says, hey, don't throw this in the trash. Look back in the five books of Moses, if you will. The fifth book of Moses is Deuteronomy. I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. In the midst of all these commandments from somebody to somebody else a long time ago, it says, uh, and this is all Moses speaking to the children of Israel. 4 verse 2, what does Moses tell all the people? You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Yeah, don't add to it, don't take away from it. Okay, how about Deuteronomy 12, verse 32. Again, Moses speaking on behalf of God, speaking to the people. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Okay, good. And how about Revelation 22, all the way at the other end of the Bible? Very end of Revelation. In fact, this is why they stuck Revelation at the end of the book, even though it was written earlier than some other things in there, was verses 18 and 19. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Okay, so that to me seems like a warning. You know, people have certainly taken that as a warning. Like, don't throw this out. Don't throw out some of the recipes or some of the letters that, you know, like everything's supposed to stay in the, <laughs> you know, in the packet. Uh, don't, it's, it's terribly important, but I won't tell you why. I won't tell you who it's from or who it's to or what it means. Yours sincerely with tremendous affection. Um, so how is this a love letter? Well, uh, there's the divine love. And there's also, divine love goes with what, dear reader? Divine love and... Wisdom. Wisdom. There's also wisdom, isn't there? Divine love and wisdom. Aha. So it's not just love that's speaking to us. There's also wisdom that's communicating with us. Swedenborg says a very, very interesting and challenging thing at some point. He says, now, fasten your seatbelts, because this is really weird. But he says that there are people who live on other planets... And a lot of the people who live on other planets get direct communication from God. When they dream at night, they're just told things like, you should treat so-and-so more kindly, or, you know, there's a life after death. Prepare yourself for it. Or, you know, 
But you can't communicate with earth people that way. They won't take it. You have to sneak up on them. The song, again with apologies, has been in my heart. Um, apologies to Bonnie Raitt. The song that's been in my head getting ready for this Bible study was, that's just love sneaking up on you. You know, that, that's what's going on in this book. Love is sneaking up on you. It's not direct. It's very, very indirect. She said it so much. Here I am blabbing for 45 minutes. She does it in one line, you know. But uh, with human, with earthlings, uh, you have to be really indirect because we would, if somebody said, you're not doing right, you should change your ways. We're just, ah, just throw that thing out, you know? So infuriating. Who do you think you are? But if it's a story about somebody else getting it in the neck, that's kind of fun. Story about other people who got punished and God was mad at them. Well, that's interesting. Oh, and somebody committed adultery. That was fun, you know? A whole bunch of people killed each other. Wow, this is fascinating. Real page turner. You know, we can take it when it's indirect. So this is something kind of unique to us to have this kind of revelation that is so remote. On another planet, maybe you'd get the nice calligraphy and the loving words and stuff like that. And we're a little perverse down here, you know. So we get the sneaky version. And wisdom is that, okay, I'm going to be indirect. And can you imagine, how much wisdom does it take to communicate with everybody at once? Good people, people of tender conscience, people who are out of their minds, as we all are, you know, uh, people who are in horrible evil, people who are full of self-justification of just in, and distorted thinking and, uh, you know, how do you say one thing to all those people? It's, it's a real, real challenge to figure out how to do that. Um, we might have rejected a puppy love sort of letter from God. We might have rejected and bristled at some sort of a lecture. But we might be able to hear uh, something that for the first, you know, 40, 50 years that you read it, you honestly think it's about somebody else. You know? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, it is? You know, it's like, it's about me or something? Oh, you know, and so you totally have to just opt in, like eventually at your comfort level, you can say, well, I'm just going to choose that when it says all that stuff in the Sermon on Mount, I'm going to think he's actually talking to me about my life or what's possible for me. I'll just opt in. But, but there's no, nothing in the text that tells you to, to read it that way. There's no need to. Um, we can hear a bedtime story that's, a, that's about people. That it's, it's completely remote. Um, but I just want to add a very important point, uh, which is the angels. Now, see, if Swedenborg hadn't have said this, I don't think I ever, you know, this idea would never cross my mind. But Swedenborg says that the angels read Scripture. They, they, they read the Bible. Uh, and... They love it. 
when we read the Bible. They're with us, and they get a ton out of it when we read it. Particularly, Swedenborg says, if we don't have a head cluttered full of wrong ideas. If we've got a head full of absolutely opposite ideas of the truth, like we approach the text from the point of view that God is hatred and judges everybody and is mad at everybody or something, then everything you read sort of goes in the wrong folder in the wrong ear or something. That's a little harder for angels to get something out of. But when children read it or when people who just approach it like, I don't know what it means, but I'll just read it, the angels get uh, something really great out of it. Uh, I'll give you a reference in Swedenborg that you can look up in your leisure if you wish. That is Secrets of Heaven or Arcana Celestia, 1767. That's a very beautiful passage and starts a whole little riff there about the nature of the Bible, about the Word, and about how angels read it. And it tells you quite specifically what the conditions are. But when people read it in this open-minded state, what happens for the angels is astonishing. Swedenborg says that what they get out of it is that they get what sent, I'm just putting my own language on it, it's like a technicolor 3D movie that they see. When we're reading these bizarre stories about someone in ancient times yelling at some group of people, <laughs> we don't know who they are, uh, the angels are seeing something and the way the Lord deals with them, he says that they see a whole, I describe it as a movie, because he says that everything in it seems to be alive and beautiful and full of just charm and joy. They, it, it's just the most delightful thing to them. They see this amazing thing and every single detail is about that particular angel's state. In other words, you get one movie, I get a different movie, you get a different movie, Everybody gets their own individualized, wonderful, beautiful, nourishing lesson when we're sawing our way through some genealogy or something. It's an amazing thought. It's just an astonishing thought. So, we may not see the love letter in here, but there are people who do. There are angels who really feel the love, very personal. They see not only their name on it, they see everything about their history, their mind, their heart, what they've been through, what they're working on now, their relationships with other people, the usefulness that they're trying to perform, an individualized thing. You know, 80 million people could be reading Scripture at the same moment and the Lord would create 80 million different movies out of that for every different angel that's absolutely personalized. A love letter from God with your name on it telling you exactly what you need to hear. When we're ready for that point, when, when we can hear it, <laughs> when we can hear it, we too may be able to get a very personalized, individualized message out of this bizarre manila envelope that says, do not throw out, important. Um, so the Lord's love wants to communicate with everybody 
wants to tell us who we are, wants to tell us how to be, what path to follow in our lives, wants to tell us, this is a hell, steer away from this, this is good for you, you know, do this, uh, you could help this person in this way, here, you have this trait too that you didn't realize, you know, all this very individualized message. I believe this is not only for angels, like I think we can get that too. We can get to that point if we open ourselves up to it and are willing to be led by it. It can be that personal for us even when we're here, but it's going to be even better. It's technicolor, it's 3D, it's amazing. You know, it, it, it's going to be astonishing to experience that. So it may seem like a strange packet just left on the doorstep, it says occupant and just full of random strange things, but kind of gripping and fascinating and full of stories within stories and stories within stories within stories. And it might comfort us to know even when we're struggling with it or it's infuriating or we can't understand what it's talking about or it says something so beautiful and then the next verse says, what? You know, uh, it might be helpful at least to think, oh, there's some angels who are loving this and they are really receptive to a love letter from the Lord. To them, it's not the least bit odd or strange. It might be kind of overwhelming or, or just astonishing, um, but it's less bizarre to them. They get a very personalized love letter from the Lord. Thank you, good friends. Let's close with a prayer, shall we? <clears throat> Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven, the one God of earth. You unite the worlds. You are the Word made flesh. You came into this world to embody the Word and to go through everything that the Word goes through. Thank you, Lord, for being this bridge and for being inmostly present within this document. With all your love and all your wisdom, it may be covered with many, many layers for us. We may not be able to glimpse much of it now. But thank you, Lord, for opening this up to the angels, and we pray to be with them someday. Our Father, who art in the heavens, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. Maybe we'll realize this book is about us.